Well, we've been in a couple mission services, and I, we're going to get back on track today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many have been enjoying the series in 1 Corinthians? I know I have. It's been incredible, and we've got ourselves to this point where we're looking over this description of love, what love is and what love is not. And we've said that love is a behavior, and in the English, in these few verses, in uh, verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, we see a bunch of adjectives, but really, as we studied, and we're going to continue, we understand that in the Greek there, that each of those 15 terms are verbs. That love is only love when it acts, when it is in action. So if you say, I love somebody, and never do anything for that person, you don't really love them. Or if you say, I love this sport, or I love this activity, and then you never do that thing, or you never spend time in that area, it's really not love. See, love is not something that you just feel, it's something that you do. And in the context of what we're studying here, the love described that we're studying is agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. And as we've studied, we've come to realize that love is the most important thing. There's nothing more important than love. 1 John 4, 8 says that God is love. And it continues, it says, without love, we cannot know God. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, at the end of this chapter, describes that the greatest is love. The greatest thing is love. And so my encouragement to you and encouragement to myself is could we use this passage to evaluate ourselves, to do an inventory, to use it as a checklist, saying, okay, how am I doing? See, our spirituality is not measured on a Sunday morning if we raise our hands or not, okay? Can we just be honest? We, we do that, but that's not, that doesn't measure our spirituality. Or even in miracles or spiritual gifts being used in our lives. That is not how you measure your spiritual life. Ultimately, you'll be measured by how you love, the measure of your love. And so we've you know, kind of talked about, um, we've kind of started the journey through these few verses. And last time we talked about that love is patient, Right? And when we talk about patience, it's not a situational patience sitting at the red light and saying, oh, I'm going to love, I'm just going to you know, you know, not get irritated. No, it's an interpersonal patience, a long-suffering in nature within relationships. Love suffers long with people. We learned that last time. And it's interesting, when we looked at that, it was the ability to be wronged and to be wronged again and to have the ability and the power to retaliate and to never even think about it. That's what patience is. How many need some help in patience sometimes? I do too, right? And then we also looked at love is kind. That love is, it's described that this, okay, that long-suffering endures injuries, the injuries of others, and then kindness pays them back only with good deeds. And that's a tough one as well. Kindness says, I'll give away anything to others, including to my enemies, when there's a need present. So when the rubber meets the road there, when someone really irritates you or is really nasty or mean or rude, could we ask ourselves the question and say, well, how could I be useful or helpful? That's the root word there in that circumstance. How could I be kind 
in that, in, in that in, for instance. When we studied the story of Mephibosheth and uh, King David in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we won't take the chance to look at that this morning. I want to encourage you, if you, haven't, if you weren't here uh, three weeks ago, you need to listen to love is patient, love is kind. And uh, the goal is to practice love, to become aware of some of these things in our lives and to show patience, to show kindness in our interaction. And I promise you, that if you are aware, if you become more aware, God will give you opportunities to show kindness, to show patience in all these things. Now, before we read in 1 Corinthians 13, I want to remind us that this particular section of Scripture is an integral part of Paul's discussion on spiritual gifts, right? And how to use spiritual gifts. What we've learned is that love is far more than a feeling or emotion. Love is eternal. And one commentator said it this way, that love is the only context for spiritual gifts to be utilized. That no gifts count for anything unless it is exercised in the context of love. And so we know that God, you know, the Word of God is talking about spiritual gifts, and we're tracking along in that in 12 and in 14, but right in the middle is this section on love. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to stand to honor God's Word. We read this last week, but we're going to read it for a few more weeks. Today we're going to try to tackle a few more of these ideas of love. And let's start in verse number 4. It says this, love is patient. Love is kind. This describing love, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Everyone say that with me. Love never fails. God, I thank you for your word today. I pray that in these next few moments, God, that we would get a picture of what love is and, God, that it would just challenge us to the very core to be more like you. God, help us in these things, and we'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You can be seated. Thanks. We wanted to get you up, get the blood flowing so your brain will be fully engaged this morning. The first one I want to uh, tackle this morning is that love does not envy. You could word, use the word jealous, that love is not jealous. And let's just be honest right here at the beginning, that it's easy to get jealous or to get envious of others, right? To envy is described, it's been described as a green sickness, the sorrow of fools. Proverbs 14.30 says it's the rottenness of the bones. And I've, as I studied this, there's really two levels of envy. The one, on the one side, is I want what you have. That's being envious. I want that new office, or I want that car, or I want that new outfit, right? And envy asks, well, why does so-and-so always get the girl and the trip to Cancun, right? And let's just admit it. It's hard to rejoice sometimes with those that do the exact same thing that you do, but they end up with the better part of the story. Maybe you become the second string in sports or second chair in music class or at work, you're second or third in sales and you're always achieving, saying, how does he always get ahead? Or how does she do it? 
and you're secretly wishing that they'd, someone would break their leg or they'd get Ebola or something like that, you're right? See, the root word of envy is to boil, right? That there's this inner steaming inside. And it's dangerous when you want what other people have. That's envy. But there's a second part. It's a, that you would wish that that person didn't have what they had. And that's even a little worse. I wish she wasn't so beautiful. Or that she didn't have that friend. Or that he didn't have those clothes. Or that family didn't have that house. Or that he didn't have the corner office. Or she didn't have that husband. Or he didn't have that wife. I wish that they didn't have whatever. When you put envy in that circumstance, it's a hatred without a cure. It destroys the inside of a man. Now the question is, is, that I want us to encourage each other in, is can you rejoice when someone gets what you want or even what you needed? And if you can't, there's a bit of envy that we need to address. See, envy, jealousy, it's the root of sin. Look at it. You, you think about it in uh, Adam and Eve, in that whole story at the very beginning of time. Satan comes and tempts Adam and Eve with this incredible knowledge. They were envious, saying, okay, I want to be like God. Fast forward a little bit, Cain and Abel. There was some envy, there was some jealousy in the mix that caused that whole situation to unfold. Same thing with Joseph. Joseph being sold into slavery. There was envy in the brothers. In the New Testament, we look at the story of the prodigal son, right? He comes home, and what does the brother do? He's mad. He's envious. He's jealous of his younger brother who squandered all the wealth but was welcomed back into the home. And what's crazy as I studied this is that envy, it's subtle, it's sneaky, and for the Corinthian church, in the context here in Scripture, the Corinthian believers, they were coveting, they were envious of the showy gifts. And we've been talking about that in, with the spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it, that word desire, it says to eagerly desire the, more, the, uh, uh, the greater gifts, right? That is the same root word uh, for envy. But I want you to know this morning that there is a tremendous price for those that do not understand what envy does. Turn with me to James chapter 3, incredible verse here that talks about envy and those things that are around that. James chapter 3, look at verse 14, listen what it says, but if you harbor bitter envy, if you find yourself in a place where there are envious thoughts, there's jealous thoughts and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. Where does that come from? It, the root is straight from the pits of hell. Verse 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. See, some people think, oh, it's no big deal if I want what someone else has. Or I can secretly say, well, I wish that person didn't have this or that. It's easy to hide. But church, the Bible describes that envy will destroy you. It'll take you down. It's like a cancer. Now, there's some positive examples in Scripture. I was thinking of one, 
keeping with uh, King David, King David and Jonathan, you know, David was rejected by Saul, who was incredibly jealous. But think about David. He had all kinds of ability. He was a musician. The Bible says he was good looking. He was a military stud. He could speak well. But Jonathan, his best friend, was not jealous or envious. L- write this verse down, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 17. You, it answers the why behind Jonathan's pursuit with David. And it says that he loved David because love does not envy. And church, I can guarantee you that in our lives, Satan is going to work on us and we're going to compare what someone dresses or what they look like or where they work or how they sing or what kind of spiritual gifts. But can I say this in love, that a loving person will rejoice over the excellence in others. Their beauty, their success, their gifts, so on and so forth. Love does not envy. The second one I want to address today is that love does not boast. To boast, the root there means to behave as a braggart, to be a windbag full of hot air. That's what, it, that's what it, as I studied, to be self-centered, to be attention-seeking. And it's in a unique word used here. In the Greek, it's only used one time in the New Testament. And it's very interesting. If envy wants what others have, and or boasting is trying to get others to want what they have or to one-up the other person. And you know what I mean. It's about the storytelling. You know, you're around the table, uh, and, and someone's telling a story about hunting or fishing, right? And the whole time, they're telling their great story. You're thinking, oh, I can outdo that, right? I can one-up that. And uh, you wait, you wait, and then you share. And then that person, their smile turns upside down into a frown and saying, oh, maybe my story wasn't that great. See, what happens when you love and you love well, love never wants people to feel like they've been topped or that they are inferior. But when someone brags or when they boast, how many would agree that it can be hurtful? It may not be intentional, but it can be hurtful. See, boasting is the verbalization of pride, which we'll talk about in a second. It's the speech of pride. It's the action of pride. And boasting makes yourself look superior, which is the opposite of love. Love takes the role of a servant. Love never boasts. See, in the Corinthian context, I like what John MacArthur said. He says that the Corinthian believers were, especially the leaders, were a bunch of spiritual show-offs. Totally inconsiderate of each other, they were vying for public attention. There was chaos within the church context. In fact, turn with me, if you're still at 1 Corinthians 13, turn over to chapter 14, verse 26. Look what Paul says. He says, what then shall we say, brothers? When we come together, everyone has a hymn. Everyone wants to sing their own song, right? Everyone has a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, And then he says, all of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. It needs to be in order. He's bringing some correction there. But it was out of order, and the Corinthian leaders were boasting. They were arrogant. They were guilty of bragging earlier on in chapter 3, verse 18, about their presumed wisdom. 
They were puffed up with knowledge in chapter 8, verse 2. And when it came to spirituality, they were bragging about their spirituality and their spiritual gifts. We see that later in 1437. There was an arrogance uh, among the leaders at Corinth. I really like what C.S. Lewis says. He said that boasting, this is the utmost evil, he says. This is the greatest sin. It is the essential vice. It is the vice at the very essence of a man. You think about that. When I started studying this, I didn't think much about boasting. But as I had been preparing and seeking the Lord, and even you know, just everyday conversation, I've caught myself saying, okay, how am I going to portray myself? How am I going to share? John MacArthur said, he says, that, the ol- that only love can save us from flaunting our knowledge. Only love can save us from flaunting our abilities. Only love can save us from flaunting our education or our gifts or our uh, flaunting ourselves so that we really come off as fools, right? The fact be known, we're nothing. We're dirt bags, as we talked about a few weeks back. See, love does not boast. And it's an important one. And I want to challenge us to be mindful of that. On the flip side, really, it compliments it. It continues. It says, not, love does not envy, does not boast, and love is not proud. It's not puffed up. And by the way, the root of boasting is pride. And the characteristic of many of those in the Corinthian church is that they were proud. They were full of themselves. 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 18 through 19 talk about the superiority of the gifts of the leadership. They're saying, ah, oh, we have Apollos, we have, we have this, we have that. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2, they were puffed up, they were proud about their sexual sin, that pornonia. We studied that a couple months ago. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, again, in the whole idol discussion, they had this knowledge and they were puffed up. They were proud, the Corinthian church. And Paul, he's putting this letter together. And what's interesting, that there, this, this particular word for proud or pride is found seven times in the New Testament. Six of those are found in the letters to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian believers, they were proud. The Corinthian church, they were prating their gifts and their spirituality. They were spiritual hotshots. And Paul calls them to do the opposite. Now, the book in the Bible that we could go to to really learn about pride is Proverbs. It's, it's, it's the book of wisdom. It says a lot about pride. Proverbs 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 13 says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, to hate pride, to hate arrogance. Proverbs 11.2 says that when pride comes, then comes shame. Proverbs 13.10 says that only by pride comes contention. You want strife, you want problems, let pride get in and get a foothold in your life. There will be contention. Proverbs 16.18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You may have heard that. And then Proverbs 29, 23 kind of wraps it up. The, a man's pride will bring him low. Ultimately, you will fail if pride is a, has a root in your, has a grip in your life. I really liked what John, John Lindell said from uh, James River Assembly in Springfield, Missouri. 
in this context of pride, he was talking about this. Uh, he said something I've never heard in my life. And uh, you may want to write this down. He said that you cannot humiliate a truly humble person. You cannot humiliate a truly humble person. As I sat with that in my office, I'm thinking about that and trying to run through scenarios and, and different things. And I ran across the story of William Carey, one of the greatest missionaries that probably ever lived. He translated the Bible into 34 or 35 languages. And, uh, but what's interesting about William Carey, he started his life as a shoe repairman, a cobbler. He fixed shoes for a living before he went to India and before he started to travel and uh, to translate the Bible. But when he went to India, he was despised by everyone there because of the caste system that was in place. He had no respect among uh, anybody. He was really at the low, at, at, the, at, the, um, at the bottom of the barrel. He got invited to a dinner party, and uh, when the conversation kind of lulled and it kind of got quiet, uh, the story talks about William Carey, that one of the dignitaries there spoke up so everyone could hear. It said, Mr. Carey, I heard that you once were a shoemaker, trying to humiliate him in the presence of the guests there. But William Carey, his response is just brilliant. He says, oh no, your lordship. He says, not a shoemaker, only a shoe repairman. Isn't that incredible? I wish I, I could come back with that kind of grace, right? But you cannot humiliate a truly humble person. Think about it in your own life. Someone calls you out and you're feeling embarrassed, you're feeling humiliated. What's at the root of that? It's probably a bit of pride. And I'll tell you, pride is sneaky, it's subtle as well. And one more thing about pride before we continue is uh, that pride, when we look at that in the big scope, a pride says, let me tell you about me, right? Let me share my story or let me give you my perspective. While love says, let me hear about you. Let me let you share. Let me be quick to listen. And a great example, we don't have the time to do it today, uh, but Jesus, John the Baptist, John the Baptist was one of the most humble leaders when Jesus came on the scene, he was quick to say, look, behold the Lamb of God. He didn't take any credit from that point. He actually just slipped away, disappeared. His disciples didn't understand it, but he continued to live in a humble fashion. He did not let pride get a hold of him. The last one I want to talk about today, we've got about five minutes, I think I can do it, is that love is not rude. Remember, love is a behavior, right? So to be rude is to behave disgracefully, dishonestly, indecently. And when someone is rude, they are essentially saying, I don't love you. I could care less about you. It's all about me. That's what happens when someone's rude. And uh, how many know that our families, our home life, is like the breeding ground for some of these disciplines to be, you know, learned and uh there's been a lesson of rudeness in our home that uh, that has been uh interesting <laughs> and i grew up you know i was the only boy in the family growing up and uh i love to eat cereal and uh and i can eat like two three bowls of cereal at a sitting and i mean i eat it fast 
I mean, there's no reason to wait, you know? I mean, if it, just get it in there, right? And what I've realized that the way I eat cereal, even though my mouth is closed, I can be louder than the average cereal eater, okay? All right, and so I'm sharing this, you know? And uh, in our family, and uh, I'm looking at someone on the front row, but I'm not going to embarrass her, right? <laughs> over and over, she says, Dad, that is so rude. Can you please be quiet? And even Jessica will chime in at times. She'll be here second service saying, you know, give me the look. Like, come on. Like, okay, that's enough. And I need to slow down and be more respectful. Now, when you think about rude, it's, you know, I will do whatever I want regardless of the effect of others. And I've realized. And so the coins actually got flipped a a few weeks back. And I was sitting quietly at the table doing some reading. And uh, someone came and started eating some cereal, no music on, it was quiet, it was early in the morning, and I'm thinking, man, <laughs> this is crazy, and what I realized is that what I had been doing, uh, it affected others, and just like it was affecting me at that moment, and I learned a practical lesson. You think about it, the practicality of being rude. Why do we teach our kids uh, not to fart and burp in public, okay? <laughs> think about it, because it's rude right? See, love says your happiness matters more to me than my relief, okay? That's the essence of that. And I ran across a story, and we got three minutes still, so I'm still good on time. This is hilarious, and this is a true story. One pastor had a couple that actually were in the church, and the couple got married and got an annulment on the basis of the fact that the husband was rude to his wife. And this is documented. The judge said, kind of brought him through forward, and the wife said, he constantly is burping and will not let it go. And the judge said, in essence, that the judge actually granted this annulment uh, on the basis that it was apparent that the man did not love the wife or he would have been more considerate of her than to burp all the time. She actually got an annulment because of his rude behavior. So, get, you know, if anyone's looking for a way out, I guess, you know, start burping, I don't know. But what it is, it's undisciplined behavior. And we teach our kids this. And we try to teach ourselves this, right? To not be rude. And it's kind of fun to talk about, but what happens is that it's not so glamorous or it's not so fun to talk about within the church context. In the Corinthian church, they struggled in this area. They were rude. We talked about it a few chapters back, that they would come to the love feast. They would come to the Lord's Supper. And those that were rich, they'd get there early and eat up all the food. And those that were less fortunate, they were shunned and they would go hungry. They They would eat without waiting. They would get drunk. The women were overstepping their bounds in that culture. And in the context, there was no order in their services. No one was considering others. It was the furthest thing from love. It was just plain rude within that context. I want you to write this verse down. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It's a story of Jesus and the prostitute. And uh, the the Pharisees wanted to stone the prostitute, wanted to let her have it. In fact, according to the law, she had been caught in the act of adultery. And as a woman caught in the the act of adultery, um, she could have been stoned by the letter of the law. But what does Jesus do? He steps in and he says, you know what? Um, 
I'm going to show some love here. And he's kind. He's not rude like the Pharisees. And Jesus' display of love in this story, we don't have the time to look at it, is just incredible. Read it in that context with that, with that idea, and I believe it will bless you um, this week in your, in your daily reading. Can I be real with you? When I, when I think about this particular um, description of love, um, I think sometimes Christians um, struggle with this. Sometimes Christians are some of the ruder people that you meet. At a restaurant, they're all, you know, make sure that everybody gets it right. They're demanding. Maybe they're obnoxious, graceless. They get all huffy, and then they leave a cheesy track and a worthless tip, and they think that they're good, right? It drives me crazy. It's a pet peeve. I used to serve tables, and I've, you know, I've witnessed that. But can I talk about rudeness when it comes to social issues? With the, you know, for example, we talked about today with the issues with uh, we want to vote our our our, um, our our convictions, you know, God in a godly way. But I've seen people, uh, you know, in regards to maybe the homosexual agenda, for example, they get all huffy and puffy, get angry, start shouting, you know, they're you know all these things. I'm saying that's rude. Or I've seen this. Uh, um, not personally, but I've seen it on video that, you know, people are picketing the abortion clinic and they've got, a, you know, a fetus in the jar saying, don't abort your baby. It's just rude. See, Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. And I love what John 1.14 says, that he was full of grace. Could we be a people that were full of grace that even in hard issues, even in areas that we don't agree with, that we could be gracious, loving, not compromising the truth. That is not what I'm saying. We'll see that a little later. There's a true story I want to share, and as we wrap up, it's painful for me to even share this because it happened right here within the church, and this is several years ago. We used to host a NA group, a Narcotics Anonymous, and uh, they would meet here um, on Thursday nights. And, and I heard about this secondhand. And I had to go back to the person and say, did this really happen? So one of the folks that were coming to Narcotics Anonymous, were, it was raining, and they were under our awning, and they were smoking uh, right, right, you know, right by the entrance. And one of our leaders came and basically, from what it sounds like, uh, totally let this guy have it. Like, why would you ever even think about smoking? right here, right so close to the church. Not taking into consideration that, hey, they're struggling, they, and maybe they're working through that, I don't know. But it was just absolutely rude. They may have had the right theology, or may have right, the right doctrine, but it completely lost their charm. And when I went back to this individual and said, hey, did you really say this? Did you really say, you know, I wish I had more gumption than I think I would have now. It was just plain rude, and we had to address it, and it was tough. It was disgraceful. I was dishonoring to God, I believe, indecent. Have some courtesy. Don't be rude. <laughs> Excel in love. And this morning, as we talk about these things, and I know our time has expired, I want to ask you, how are you doing in this area of love? For me, this has been a journey over these last couple weeks as we study these. And I'm saying, oh, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Seriously. 
These are tough areas at school, at work, maybe the toughest at home, but certainly in the community, here at church. See, love is what God calls us to be. He says to be patient and kind, not to envy, not to boast, not to be proud, not to be rude. And my goal, my dream is that the Gateway Church, those that connect themselves here, that we would be known by our love. And we could have the checklist and we say, okay, we may not be perfect, but we're going to excel. If we're going to excel in anything, we're going to excel in love. I wrote in my notes here, and I'm writing this about myself, I need more love. I do. It's just the, the fact. And as we look at some of these in the next couple weeks, they don't get any easier. But this morning, God, through his Holy Spirit, he helps us to love others. It's Christ in us that can make the difference. And so we don't have to do it on our own, but we need to yield to the Holy Spirit and let him change us from the inside out. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. As we think about this idea of love, and we look at these particular ones so far, patience and kindness, not to envy, not to boast, not to be proud or rude. I'm curious to know how many here this morning would say, um, like your pastor, honestly, I need more love in my life. Would you just slip up your hand if that's you, just saying, man, that's where I am today. I need more love at home. I need more love here at church, in the community, maybe at school. Yeah. I'm going to ask that you just stand right where you are. And I just want you just to ask the Lord in your own way for the next moment. Say, God, help me in this pursuit of love. Help me to be more like you. If it's true that God is love and we have Christ in us, could we measure ourselves against this checklist, this description of love? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not proud. It's certainly not rude. Lord, I pray that you put your hand upon us, that you would help us to grow in these areas. And God will give you the praise and give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Would your head continue to be bowed and eyes closed this morning? When we think about love, I, you can't not think about the greatest, one of the greatest scriptures in, verse, in the whole Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He was a sacrificial love, an agape love. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. And this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, the love of God has been pursuing you. You are not here on accident. Or maybe you've fallen away from the Lord and maybe you're really struggling saying, man, I don't even know if the Lord were to come back today, if I'd even make it to heaven. Today is the day of salvation. So I'm just going to ask a simple question. Is there anyone here that needs the love of Jesus in their life today and wants to surrender 
and give their heart to Jesus. Would you just lift up your hand? I want to pray with you today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you out, but I want to get you some tools. Is there anyone today? And that's where I am today. Anyone at all? I don't see any hands. Can I have your eyes on me just for a moment? Let's just assume for a second, which is maybe not a good idea, but that we're all believers here, okay? I'd hate for anyone to think, oh, I'm here, I'm a believer, right? That's, that's not what the Bible says. We, you got to choose for yourself. But let's just assume for a second that we're all believers. Could I encourage you in one last thing as we leave tonight or today? That the love of God, if it's really being developed inside of us, should spill out on others. It should make a difference. How many would agree? And could we pray that this week that God's love would reign supreme in our lives and that we'd leave here with a mission to show God's love wherever we go? That's my prayer, that it would be the, the standard And we're not going to hit it 100%, that's for sure. But God, help us. Jesus, help me. Let me pray a prayer of benediction. Lord, go before us, behind us, and all around us, and help us, God, to be engaged fully in this pursuit of love. God, we thank you for your word that is so powerful. Now go before us. Lord, we thank you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. We love you. God bless you. Go in the grace of God.